Welcome to Occasional Randomness. We are continuing our voyage through the TV series Farscape. For our prior episodes on Farscape, you can go to our website, occasionalrandomness.podbean.com. Tonight, we'll be recapping and discussing our first two-parter of Season 3 of Farscape. Episode 3, Self-Inflicted Wounds Part 1, Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. And Episode 4, Self-Inflicted Wounds Part 2, Wait for the Wheel. I'm your host, Eric Scott. And joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host, somebody who would never leave his friend stuck in a wormhole, Jason Johnson. Well, I, I can tell you I definitely won't, since the last time I did, you broke my nose. It's still a little <laughs> sore. Anyway, no, yeah, no, definitely wouldn't have invited anybody. Not a chance. Yeah, there, there's definitely a, a little bit of a crew-on-crew crew violence in this uh, these two episodes here, so we'll, we'll discuss that when we get to it. Yeah, hence the maybe self-inflicted wounds title. Yeah, it could be. I guess you could say Roger's asking for it. I don't know. We'll, we'll get we'll get to that point. <laughs> I think everybody's asking for it. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just have the annoying creepy people you have to smack up. No, never mind. Well, yeah. <laughs> what are families for? Yeah, every conflict, your disagreements, but then you all come back together at the end, more or less. Hmm. That's ominous. Just the serious two-parter here. So yeah, well, it's not a lot of light and fluffy in here, but you know, we'll we'll find a couple little happy bits. All right, so let's jump on into it. So, Season 3, Episode 3, Self-Inflicted Wounds, Part 1. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. We open with Aaron and Dargo moving the remaining Interion cryo-chamber around the cargo bay, and Dargo's commenting that he's still hurting from finding out about Jothi and Chiana the last couple episodes, but he doesn't really want to talk about it anymore. Aaron tells him that they were just rebelling like children and offers to listen to him. Meanwhile, Stark is watching Xan in her quarters, and her condition is getting much worse. Uh, we go back to the command deck, where Crichton's complaining to Pilot that Stark says Xan needs to be put in soil soon. Pilot says that, you know, a planet meeting those requirements are less than an arm away. So, let's get there. So Crichton wants to go right now, but Pilot says he thought Crichton might want to see something else first. And we look outside, and there's a wormhole near Moya, of course. Crichton tells Pilot to take some readings, uh, but Pilot says that a ship is pro- approaching really fast out of the wormhole, when suddenly it collides with Moya. Uh, after some bouncing around a bit, uh, it looks like the two ships appeared to have somehow merged together. Pilot and Moya took the worst of it, and uh, we see in the command deck an alien steps out of something and calling for Niala. Crichton, being the hospitable host, pulls his gun on him, and everybody panics in the standoff. Stark and Dargo go to tend to Pilot, and the alien comments to this Niala that they all seem to communicate in different languages, yet all understand each other. And then a DRG sidles up and injects one of them with translator microbes, and then she is able to talk to the crew and introduces herself as Pathfinder Niala. Dargo and Stark are now with Pilot, who uh, apparently isn't feeling too well and uh, throws up everywhere, mostly on Stark, saying that he can't function where they are. He tells them to disconnect him from Moya's neural nexus and then blows chunks all over Stark again. Lucky Stark. Yeah. And Stark goes off to get a shower. Uh, looks like the uh, merged ships are stuck in the wormhole somehow, and Niala explains that her ship was regaining dimensionality when their ships collided with each other. She says they are trying to bring online a generator that will hopefully help separate them. She says that they can escape the wormhole through a small gap that they pass every third of an arn. Uh, and right now they have ricocheted into the turbulent zone of the wormhole. And she says that's a distorted region dividing the wormhole from normal space-time. Meanwhile, in her quarters, Zan sees an image of an Earth-like planet through the window, and an image of a serpent also flies past. Stark enters, and Zan tells him that the goddess has chosen her harbinger. Stark tells her that the planet is near, but she says that serpent lies between them, which Stark says, no, it's not really there, there. it's just a hallucination. She tells him that he's so afraid to let go, and he tells her he has a darkness that frightens lovers away. It turns out when he assists dying people, he involuntarily absorbs a part of their existence. Over the many cycles, he's accumulated a vast reservoir of evil, he says. And he says that he can't bear to lose the one thing that mitigates that twisted core of his existence. That would be Zan. Back in the cargo bay, Rigel has accidentally triggered the remaining cryo chamber to open, of course. The woman inside suddenly wakes up, asks who Crichton is, and says his time is up. I don't know how she knows who Crichton was, unless they could hear somehow. Anyway, She thinks Crichton's sedation, and when asked, she clearly has not heard of Earth. Crichton asks who she is. To which she replies, Telushko Tunai Fenta Hovalis. Uh, but that's way too long to, to keep saying all the time, so Crichton shortens it to Jewel. When Rigel tells her that she was stuck in that chamber for 22 cycles, she lets out a terrible scream, which seems to melt nearby metal. That won't come back. Yeah, <laughs> Chekhov's scream. Meanwhile, Moya's trying to get out of the wormhole. She tries to starburst, but that only causes more damage instead of getting them free. Niala believes that the generator can be repaired before they're all incapacitated, 
but she needs vital information about their position within the wormhole and asks Crichton to go and get it. Star tells Crichton that stopping Starburst took everything out of pilot, so Aaron goes to help. Nayla gives Crichton a position recorder and says that she appreciates the risk he's taking by going outside. Uh, we cut to a young Pathfinder on the alien ship named Shrina, telling Kritago, I guess the captain or whatever that ship, that the generator is leaking and she doesn't want to die. But Kritago says that the information on the ship must be saved no matter the cost. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, back on Moya, Jewel asks Rigel how her cousins died, and he's just about to tell her when Chiana enters and stops him from blabbing. Jewel says, what are you not telling me? But Chiana says they're in a crisis right now, so either shut up, help, or go back to sleep. Jewel says she won't be spoken to like that by some alley whore, ooh, game on, when Crichton comes in to take Roger with him. They leave in Farscape 1 and begin to take their readings. Aaron goes to Dargo, telling him Pilot's been unconscious for an arn, and he should stop ripping out the wiring to separate Pilot from Moya. Dargo's still angry with himself, though, because he almost forgave Chiana, and he asks how he could trust Chiana again, and then asks Aaron if she can trust Crichton. She says that Crichton seems to trust aliens, and the wormhole seems to blind him. Suddenly, a serpent shoots past, and it's definitely real, not a hallucination. Zan is with Pilot, and Stark says how masterful she is with him. Zan says that he must replace her and minister to these souls on Moya. Stark says he loves her, and Zan asks if she didn't feel the same way, and more, how could she ask the sacrifice of him? Uh, meanwhile, outside in Farscape 1, uh, Rigel attempts to take over the ship, and they somehow escape from the wormhole. But Crichton whacks him on the nose repeatedly and turns the ship back inside the wormhole, where they get caught in Moya's docking web. Rigel swears that Crichton has attacked him for the last time. At least for this episode. Meanwhile, Aaron and Zion have Nilala in command and are questioning her about the serpent, because it ain't a hallucination. She says that she could have killed them all, but didn't, and instead worked with them, proving her intentions. She explains that the serpent only exists in the wormhole and is only visible when it shifts in the phase or present. That explains everything. Yeah, say what? Meanwhile, Dargo and Stark are in the corridor, saying that systems are failing everywhere on Moya. Dargo blames Pilot, but Stark, Stark says the stress on Moya is frying junctions everywhere. The wormhole is killing her. Meanwhile, Zan visits Rigel, who's preparing to kill Crichton, <laughs> but talks him out of it. He tells her he appreciates her counsel and says, and she says that by him accepting her counsel, she knows he does. Does he really? We'll find out. Meanwhile, Crichton is watching the images that he captured from the wormhole, only he's watching them in his mind with Harvey. Hey, he's still there. Sitting on a car at a drive-thru. Harvey is a little upset at being called there at Crichton's whim, and when he says that he thinks Scorpius is still alive and that the wormhole technology is the center of a new research facility, Crichton tells him that only one ship can survive, and Harvey says, yeah, he knows, and it's too bad about Moya. Harvey tells Crichton he knows he's already made his decision to abandon Moya in favor of the wormhole technology and is simply trying to justify the decision to himself. He reminds him that if Moya and Pilot are to die anyway, he has to take advantage of the huge prize that dropped upon him and called a day. Later, the crew are debating which ship to use, with Zan, Stark, Aaron, and Dargo objecting to leaving Moya, while Crichton, Jewel, and Nyala are in favor. Nyala explains that after separation, one vessel slides into the portal, maintaining a chance of surviving. The other will tumble through the wall to normal space, and probably not survive. While Zan continues to object, Rigel and Crichton say they have to leave Moya, and Zan comments how desperate Crichton must be for the wormhole technology. Dargo adds that he places his obsession over the lives of his friends. And after everybody leaves, Rigel slightly tells Jewel what really happened to her cousins. Uh, we cut down to the cargo bay where Aaron tells Crichton that everything's blown. After Aaron leaves, Jewel enters and attempts to kill Crichton, but is unsuccessful, and Dargo knocks her unconscious. While that happened, Dargo notices a gap in the force field of that ship that they brought aboard from a couple of episodes ago, and then tells Crichton to lock Jewel up. Meanwhile, Niala tells Shrina, remember her, that she does not enjoy sending the youngling to her death but plays a guilt trip on her about their family and says the crew of Moya must not know her true intention. Meanwhile, Chiana's checking a panel, but before she can close it, it shorts out and, and blows up. She tells the others that there's no way they can repair all the damage. A big shake occurs on Moya, and Aaron says that that settles it. They have to abandon Moya. As everybody reflects on that decision, Darko sees Chiana and says that he can't leave her alone in pain. Meanwhile, in Pilot's den, Crichton's once again watching the pictures of the wormhole and tells Pilot he's so sorry. When he notices that one of the pictures in the device is a familiar black and white scene. It's the Three Stooges. And then suddenly the serpent shows up and attacks him, and he's left hanging on the edge of the walkway with a long drop below to be continued. So they use the Imperial uh, railing uh, standards. Yeah, that they have that uh, no OSHA safety requirements on any kind of ship in this quadrant. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, some brief trivia about this episode. Among these civilizations that were photographed by the Pathfinder's vessel sensor are the Aquarians from Jeremiah Crichton and the Sycharans from Thank God It's Friday Again. 
Uh, more on this in a minute, but in her shortened role this third season, Virginia Hay, who plays Anne, wore a bald cap, while in previous seasons she had shaved her head. According to Paul Goddard, who plays Stark, Pilate's puke was tastier than it looked, and not as revolting as it appeared on screen. I'll take your word for that. It's probably a good thing for him. Yeah. Free pudding for the crew today? No, okay. And finally, Jules' hair was designed to change colors with her mood. Blonde when she's calm, and vivid red when excited, or angry, I guess. All right, so that was the exciting slash confusing slash interesting part of the first part of the two-parter, Jason. What did you think about it? So I have to fess up that I really struggled to follow the, the alien mission plot. Obviously, it's the, the wormhole stuff and the damage and the merge ships sets everything in motion. But why, why the aliens are, are acting the way they are? Did we even get a name for them? Like their species? I think we just, I've just referred to them as aliens, but everybody's an alien. So that's kind of confusing too. But yeah, uh, that was probably my struggle with the episode um, as we'll kind of hit as we walk through it. I I did enjoy a lot of the crew dynamics, but the, uh, the the actual framework of the plot didn't click with me. I'm I'm still, I I still don't know that I actually understand what the, what the struggle was. So. Yeah. I don't think they ever said like what species they were or where they were from other than I guess somewhere maybe another dimension in the wormhole i don't know but yeah so and i guess it doesn't really matter other than they collided and they're trying to get away and they have something really important information i guess about wormholes or something that they have to get back to their whatever planet place wherever they came from yeah that that, again if i'm I'm nitpicking that was the thin part of it to me was i you know it obviously sets a lot of stuff in motion crew wise and and the actions of the episode itself but the uh, the the why the framework was just kind of scaffolding at this point. Yeah, I mean they're they're kind of just there to drive the plot along, not because uh, they're important or well, you know, whatever. I guess they're just there for how the crew reacts to what's happening versus what they're there for. Yeah, but but then, like I said though, I, I did enjoy a lot of the, the dynamics part. So uh, I'm just getting my my nitpicking out of the way so we can move on to the fun stuff. So let's get into some of the fun stuff. So. Off the bat, uh, we have Dargo kind of saying, you know, he's still upset that he's, you know, he screwed up both you know, his relationship with Chana and his son. And, you know, but Aaron's like, you know, I'm here for you if you need to talk about anything. So, you know, that's kind of more of the, like the crew bonding that we like about Farscape. You know, that, that at this point, two and uh, eighth seasons in or whatever, <laughs> that, you know, that they've, you know, bonded with each other. Dargo's long since stopped thinking of her as like a, the peacekeeper, the enemy, you know, they're friends, they care about each other. Uh, except obviously for Rigel, which we'll get to in a minute. Rigel is gone off the rails again, but well, but at least Aaron and Dargo are there for each other. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Again, even though we had some fallout from the, the drama of the last couple episodes, which if it never gets spoken of again, I'm, I'm good with it. But, you know, I guess we still need to get Chiana and Dargo to crewmate standards, if nothing else. And so I think we get there as we'll discuss. But yeah, Aaron and Dargo definitely seem to have a, a strong bond still, which is good. Yeah, I guess speaking of strong bonds, we got uh, a lot of great scenes this episode with uh, Stark and Zan. And I, I, I guess they, they talk about it or they talked about it in previous episodes. But I guess you finally get the sense that they really are in love with, with, with each other and really care about each other. You know, we have like him trying to keep her spirits up you know, because, you know, she's obviously dying and sick. And he's like, you know, it's, you know you're, we're almost at the place. And, and then, but then he also tells well, her and I guess us as an extension that, you know, he ha- he needs her to keep him calm, and that darkness that he's absorbed, she helps kind of keep that at bay. And then on the other hand, she's trying to like just coax him up and prepare him for her possible death, and to, for her, him to continue on as she did in trying to care for and tend to Moya's crew. So those kind of little touching scenes. Yeah, and you know, we're definitely you know starting to see, like you said, the the, the prep work of getting him ready to deal with her loss, um, assuming she's as ill as she seems to be. And, and and also, I think it's a neat note that no matter what, Zan's still doing her best to make sure that there's somebody there to, to look after the the spiritual needs of the crew. Um, so she's she's putting her her replacement in place as well. Yeah, because Stark is kind of in that kind of mold where he's kind of like the—he's not—he's not a healer per se, but he, he like more, more like a minister. Like he like ministers to the crew or to like dying people or you know helps them comfort them when they're sad or dying or whatever. So yeah, maybe he'll become the new Zan. Who knows? We'll It'll be interesting to see what he can do for the living, right? Not just the, yeah. the transitioning. So. 
And then we kind of have a new potential crew member here, Jewel, which actually, spoiler alert, yeah, she's going to be part of the crew, which we'll get to that next episode. But yeah, so she's around for a bit. This one caught me uh, completely off guard. I kind of thought we had a full boat after Stark and Crace uh, actors had their name added to the, the preseason credits this season, right? So we, we kind of added on some permanent characters. I was not expecting any new crew members to be permanent. And as I was watching, I was kind of like, is she actually sticking around? You know, because they kind of did that with Stark, right? He, he showed up and you're like, oh, he's, he's gone. Oh, wait, he's still there. And, and I kind of got the feeling that this was going to be another one of those where it's like, nope, this is, this is not just a one-off. Yeah, she'll be around for a bit. And we'll talk about more about her, I guess, next episode, because she has a little bit more to do next time than this time. And, you know, this is kind of a serious episode so far. But, you know, there are some funny bits. I did kind of mention it, talking about that, you know, pilot uh, throwing up Oliver Stark. Uh, that was probably the funniest part of the episode you know the look on stark's face as he's like sitting there it was priceless it was just like he's like what the heck <laughs> just happened so a, a nice kind of break in the tension of the episode yeah and, and it gave us some something to do with with pilot right because you know after this he kind of is in, out of commission for the rest of the two-parter so having a little bit of pilots better than having no pilot yeah, I mean, he's pretty much, apart from like, what, the first 10 minutes of the episode, he's pretty much sidelined for just about the, the next 90% of both episodes. Yeah, I mean, so. spoiler for the next episode, he gets like five minutes of time at the end. So, you know, he, he definitely doesn't get a whole lot to do in this, this setup, but he, he does get to contribute to the humor of this episode. So that's pretty good. And then, like we said before, our, our little visitors here, wormhole travelers, what do you want to call them? guess they aren't as nice as they might or could have been if you had an accident with you know another ship apparently whatever they have is so important they have to get it back to their people i guess something like their their families will die if they don't for some reason so that's kind of extra pressure when you go on a mission that if you don't come back we're going to kill your family so i I guess i can kind of see that they're going to be the bad guys because or quote-unquote bad guys because if their families are on the line then okay sure they have motivation to you know get their ship home not moya if they can only save one ship right so you know that's their best interest well, and, and that kind of leaves us feeling slightly bad because obviously, you know, Moya's got to survive. So they obviously aren't successful and therefore their families are going to get it. Uh, there, there's, there's probably some fallout on the other side of this that, you know, makes it for a less happy episode as well. Yeah, because it would really change the whole show dynamic if they went on board that other ship and left and then Moya and Pilot died. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we know that's not going to happen probably. So. Right, right. So so if we make that assumption at this point, then it's not looking good for their families. <laughs> yeah, or they pull out the usual sci-fi thing at the end where it's like, you know, we can save both ships, but we'll find out next time. And I mentioned before about uh, at least one of, the, one of the crew going off the rails. Uh, we get to see that Rigel is really vindictive when he wants to be. He was being his usual selfish, selfish self when they're on Farscape 1 and actually got out of the wormhole and back to normal space. And didn't really care if anybody, if anybody else made it or died. You know, he's out. He's good. Thanks a lot. Let's go, Crichton. And Crichton's like, uh, no, and beats the little stuffing out of him, you know, because he's a Muppet. You know, get it? So stuffing. Well, and, and, and we can point out that he and Crichton were the only ones actually in space at this point. So he was the Muppet in space. There we go. That's right. And then he eventually... Um, I won't say. I guess he kind of he kind of embellishes or lies, I guess, to Jewel about how her cousins died to get her to try to kill Crichton. Because really, Joffy opened up the one thing and killed the guy. And I guess Crichton didn't want the other one opened so they could you know take part of that guy's brain to heal him from a couple episodes ago. So he's basically just using Jewel to kill Crichton and not feel bad about it. And since I guess his original plan failed when he tried to get a poison syringe and Zan stopped him, so. Yeah, you know, he's just trying to do anything at this point for some reason to really kill Crichton for some reason, you know, because I guess he broke his nose. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess this is my place to insert my my regular grumble of aren't we past this? And and I guess Rigel's got a Rigel, but this is a, a little extreme trying to murder Crichton just because he didn't get his way. You know, we're, we're a long way from fighting over crackers, but Rigel's still Rigel. Although we do get to see, like they said in the trivia, that, you know, Jewel's hair, when she gets really mad, is now, like, bright red. So, okay, it's something cool and different. But other than that, yeah, she's a bad shot, and good thing she is, too. Yeah, she'd have been better off just screaming at him. Yeah, if you have, like, fillings, or, like, if you had, if you had like, a like a metal, metal plate in your head, metal splint or something, would that that would probably be a bad thing if she's screaming at you. Yeah, yeah, her and Stark do not meet in the same place when she screams. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. That'd be interesting. You can literally melt 
Stark's face off. Yeah. <laughs> and then I guess kind of the other potentially out of character thing with the episode is um, what do you think about Crichton seemingly putting the wormhole technology over Moya and Pilot and maybe the others? I mean, granted, he does, when he escapes, go back to Moya, but maybe that's because he wanted to keep talking to Niala and those guys about wormholes or, or use it to then go home or something. I don't know, because the aliens sure seem to know a lot about wormholes. And because they explained all kinds of techno babble and whatever about you know different spaces and turbulent zones and all this kind of stuff, you know even before he saw the Earth images, hint that you know he's nearby somehow. But yeah, it just seems he was all in on just oh well, Moya's done, we're out of here. Even if maybe there's a remote chance she could be saved somehow. Yeah, I don't know how I felt about that. It's it's a little yeah. I guess we're trying to reestablish the importance of the wormhole stuff. So you know this, this seems to do a lot of setup for that. But it, you're right, it did seem a little out of character based on the way he's protected. And got out of his way to protect Moya and Pilot in other spots. I, I would, if I, if I could have made one change, I think it would have been neat to see the when he when he and Rigel come out of the wormhole that it was at Earth, right? And then it would have made his decision to go back into the wormhole even more meaningful if he was abandoning Earth there. Yeah, and I mean, I guess you know that, that does set the tension with you know can they trust Crichton? You know, it's, it's adding drama to the show, which is that's the whole point of a sci-fi drama is to have drama. And sci-fi, but drama. You know, so it's like, yeah. And, and someone's got to be the first one to say Moya's a lost cause, right? You know, Aaron then, I guess, comes around towards the end saying, yeah, it looks like it's over. So I guess someone, someone had to be first. I don't know. Yeah, although it, I could see it being normally, you'd if, if it wasn't about wormholes, you know, she'd be the first one to do it. And Crichton would be doing everything he could to be emotional and not logical. So, yeah, so someone's got to do it. So let's, let's hang on Crichton this time. All right. That's pretty much all the major elements of this episode as they're setting up obviously the f- the first parter to do the exciting conclusion anything else you want to comment on on this first one no I, th- I think everything else will kind of bleed into the next one is these these are these are pretty tightly mixed two-parters so yeah. although i will say Crichton does name drop the episode when he's sitting there in pilot's den before the serpent hits him so so we gotta if you're you know, keeping score you know we got we got an episode name drop so there you go hasn't happened in a while there we go always good to get this back all right, so let's move into Season 3, Episode 4, Self-Inflicted Wounds, Part 2, Wait for the Wheel. Take a breath. So, confronted by the serpent, Crichton manages to shoot it with his pulse pistol and scare it off. The recording device is damaged, but when Aaron and Zan join him, he says that he saw a picture of a TV transmission from Earth, the Three Stooges. He says that it means that some part of the wormhole is 40 light years at most from Earth. And he could, get, he could get home when Zan points out the selfishness of this in the current situation. She asks where Neela's injured crew member is since their blood is on the floor. They realize that the Favetillion generator, say that three times fast, which could alter the phase of an object. Ah, Favetillion, Favetillion. Okay, I get it. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it takes me a minute. Could have made them invisible. So Kritaga tells Niyala that he continues to grow weak. She says that they must continue to make the crew believe that Moya grows weak. The remotest hope will make them rally to her. Then Kritaga makes himself invisible. Uh, she tells him to sabotage the ship to make them see that they must abandon Le- the Leviathan. Chiana, Crichton, and Rigel are discussing whether or not to go on Niela's ship if the aliens are lying, as the rest of the crew are also convening, saying that they cannot trust Crichton's judgment, and Aaron says that she is sure Crichton is still talking to Scorpius. And... By Scorpius, she probably means Harvey, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he hasn't told her his nickname or whatever. Yeah. Right, but yeah, we're not talking to Scorpius, Scorpius, who they think is dead. Anyway, they describe their plan to discover Nyala, but it's exactly the same as the other's plan. So even apart, they're on the same page. Rigel agrees to search below Pilot's Den. Crichton meets Dargo in the new ship. It's the one that they figured out how to open, see past episode. And they both ask each other what they're doing there. Dargo fiddles about with the controls, which worries Crichton, and Dargo says that being on Moya has changed him. He says that he neglected Chiana, but what troubles him the most is that he did his very best and it wasn't enough, and as a result, he lost both her and Jothi. Crichton says his grandmother once told him that life is like a great wheel, hmm. in that sometimes it grinds you low, while other times it lifts you high. The point is, the wheel is always turning. You just have to wait for it. And now we finally have a clue what the heck that title means. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and, and now I have a song stuck in my head. Anyway, uh, <laughs> R- Rigel finds Shrina's body. 
apparently bitten by the serpent. He takes a sample of her needles for Aaron as she says she likes to know her enemy. In command, Zan begins to lose control to her illness and snarls that Niala's betrayal must be punished before she regains control of her. Aaron states that being revived in exchange for Zan giving up her health was a bad trade, but Zan tells her not to underestimate herself. Zan gently tells Aaron that despite how it looks, they're actually a lot alike. Both with violent pasts, but changed for the better, avoid Moya, and Zan feels that while her life is growing short, she knows Aaron has a life full of possibilities ahead of her. Jewel, hey, remember her? Is upset about her current situation, being captured on a ship after 22 cycles asleep by a group of prisoners. Stark snaps at her in his madness and says that he'll show her something to make her cry forever, which causes her to scream and a panel shorts out. Stark tells the others that the panel was offline, so someone invisible must be here, or was here. Nyala tells the crew that her mission is guaranteed by their families, who will be executed if they fail. She says what's left in their situation is wormhole technology, garnered at great cost with extreme power, and asks Crichton to compare it with the life of a Leviathan and its pilot, who are doomed anyway. Aaron tells her to stop Critago, but Nyala says that he has no communication device and will continue his mission. However, Dargo and Chiana find Critago with the help of some DRDs. However, Chiana gets shot by one of his needles. Zen gets Rigel's samples to make an antidote and tells Niala that if Chiana dies, she will kill her. The generator has reached optimal phase, and when it's activated, they'll find out if the ships are destined to separate. Dargo gets Stark and Rigel to help him reconnect Pilot to give him a chance of survival. If they're not done in time, they'll race to the other ship. Meanwhile, Crichton and Aaron are preparing for Starburst, with Crichton saying that he really blew this one. They hear Jewel scream and go to scare the serpent away from her. Zan manages to heal Chiana thanks to Rigel. She tells Dargo how she wanted him to kill her when she first came aboard Moya so she wouldn't stay imprisoned. He says a planet is out there to heal her, but she says it is now in the hands of the goddess. Meanwhile, Rigel tells Stark that it's too bad about Pilot. He liked him. Stark says that Pilot liked Rigel too. He told him so. Crichton unlocks Jewel and tells her to call them back when she thinks the generator will blow. Moya begins decompressing when Crichton and Aaron encounter the serpent again. Crichton says that he has a plan, but she says that they never work. He says they always do, but she says, nope, they never do. They climb into the new ship and turn on its force field, which the serpent runs into and dies. Gee, that was easy. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. They Anticlimactic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought they'd keep dragging that one out anyway. Zan prays to the goddess to see her path when Aaron enters Pilot's den. Zan asks the goddess to save Moya and Pilot and ask anything in return when Aaron says that the seal held and the air is thin but breathable. Aaron gets Moya's adrenal secretions pumping with an attempt to revive Pilot. Jewel asks Crichton why Moya is so important to him and says she's like a parent. She raised them. Crichton is visited by Harvey, who says that he's free, no more dumpster, and that Crichton will do anything to save his ship, so why assume Ness of Nyala? He runs into Jewel, who's been hit in the head. Aaron has managed to wake Pilot as Crichton confronts Nyala, who says that she could have killed them when she had the chance. She has gassed the room so that if Crichton uses his pistol, it will cause an explosion. She's attached a beacon to Moya, so her race will come and seek her out if Moya survives. She begins to shoot needles when Crichton runs into Jewel. Nyala shoots at them, but Jewel's scream melts the tips of her needles before they hit. Crichton kicks Nyala and she falls into the generator and is vaporized. Crichton and Jewel get the generator's control, but Aaron says that Pilot needs more time for the calculation. Zan enters and tells Crichton what to do at the controls as Aaron is on her way. The others won't make it, so they say they've voted to stay together no matter what. Pilot has to initiate Starburst seven microts after the generator is activated, and Aaron tells Crichton they don't have to be as close as he thinks, since Moya's weight gives an advantage with the gravitational pull of the wormhole. Pilot gives Crichton manual control, and Crichton wants Aaron to take over. She's reluctant when Zan, realizing what Crichton is about to do, tries to stop him. He says he's got this, and Aaron asks what's going on. Jules says that someone has to actually trigger the generator, meaning that they will be stuck on the Alice ship when it's destroyed. Aaron wants to, but Crichton says this is his fault, so he will. But Zan interjects and says that, in this instance, they're both wrong. She's willing to sacrifice herself to save the others, as her illness is frighteningly efficient, and it's likely too late for the planet to save her. Zan says she's chosen this path while she still can. Dargo says but she's needed to get aboard Moya, 
but she says at one time she was, and now a family has been born. He says that she birthed it, and Chiana says they love her. Crichton says he, he can do it easily, but she says if it's easy, then allow her to. Aaron still objects, but Zan says that if she, she is so valued and so wise, they will honor her words, they will obey her. And she says she knows she's worthy to, be, to meet the goddess now. She says that there's no blame, only what is meant to be, and tells them to, to grow through their mistakes, and redemption will find them. Crichton says to wait for the wheel, and she thanks him and gives them the goodbye. Stark screams when Zan touches him mentally, asking him to guide her to the place of rest so that she can share her last moments with the man she loves. She initiates the sequence and the ships separate. She can be seen on it one last time as the crew cry out for her before the ship is destroyed. Crichton helps Aaron to the controls and they manage to steer Moya out. With Moya still damaged, Rigel is with Pilot, who says that Rigel has never paid this much attention to him before, and Rigel says that he just actually hasn't noticed and that he likes Pilot. A lot, and knows Zan did too. He says it's a shame that he didn't get to say goodbye, but Pilot says that when he was unconscious, she came to him in his mind, and he already misses her. As Dargo sits alone in his new ship, Aaron is with Stark, who says she doesn't have to hover over him. Aaron says she expected him to be more upset, but he says that while many who he crosses over resist the process, Zan didn't. She was so at peace, so certain with what was next was better, that she didn't want them upset but wants them to be positive in her spirit. Aaron asks if he can do that, and Stark admits that he won't always be able to, and when he can't, he would appreciate her hovering over him then. Crichton sits alone in Zan's destroyed quarters, knowing it was his obsession with the wormhole that cost his friend her life. In his head, he's watching a memory of the Three Stooges at a drive-in with Harvey, who asks him why it's always the gentle ones who pay the price for someone else's ambition. Crichton, knowing the words to be true, throws his beer bottle away in rage. A uh, little trivia for this episode, Claudia Black suggested the Yoda from Dagobah line since she felt Aaron would have picked up some of Crichton's pop culture references. The scene where Chiana and Dargo look for the invisible pathfinder was done live on set with dry ice and laser beams. Both Virginia Hay and Gigi Edgley had, to, had trouble shooting their final scene together and had to have their makeup redone due to their genuine tears. The original plan was to have Zan planted in a planet's soil and return for her in a few episodes. The Three Stooges film Crichton watches is Disorder in the Court, one about, of about a half dozen Stooges shorts from the 1930s that have fallen into public domain, meaning the footage could be used without the production team needing to pay royalties or licensing fees. They got clearance to use the clip on the morning the drive-in scene was about to be shot. Crichton's calculation that the wormhole is no more than 40 years from Earth is based upon the theory that television broadcasts on Earth, particularly those directed at broadcast satellites, continue outward from Earth at the speed of light and may therefore be receivable by spacecraft or planets within that range. Virginia Hay became the only day one cast member to leave the series as a regular, and one of the reasons for her departure was that the blue makeup worn over her head and chest to achieve Zen's appearance caused her kidneys to bleed, resulting in subsequent a subsequent decline in her health. So uh, that was a lot to go through there. Eric, what did you think of that one? Yeah, so, so you know, another great ending of Farscape's multi-parters. Story was good. Uh, the acting, obviously, was the best part as they're dealing with what happened, especially the scenes leading up to, you know, Zan deciding to sacrifice herself and then everybody's reactions to not having her do that and basically throughout the rest of the episode as they're dealing with it afterwards which kind of was much better like trying to compare it to something recent-ish around the time well not recent-ish but close enough is i guess thinking about like tasha yar in tng season one you know she was there for like what half a season and gets blown away so you know you kind of hardly knew her so it didn't really have it as an effect as much as this one did because i guess you know here we've known zan for over two years and obviously the crew knew her for longer than that because they're all prisoners together. So I guess, yeah, you know, two thumbs up for these episodes. They, they do their multi-parters pretty good. Yeah, uh, I, as I kind of mentioned in the last one, I was, I was struggling with a little bit of the framework, of, and, and this pulled together a lot of the story that I was struggling with, and the emotional fallout for this one was pretty big. So I definitely think we got a lot in this last bit. Yeah, because we're saying off recording that this was kind of just like one big episode. Like usually how some of the... the two-parters they they, they oh, oh, it's the same way they, they, they build it up and then they have to you know wrap it up but this was kind of done such that it was it could have been like just a, a two-hour episode effectively uh, the way they you know it all flowed together it wasn't like as distorted and jumpy as some kind of two-parters 
Yeah, it, it easily could have been just bled together and done as like a season mid-break or something. I'm not saying we are that far in the season. I'm just saying that, you know, if if the, if you were looking for something to kind of wrap up the first half of a season, this this was definitely something that would have done it. It, it. They flows together that well. Yeah, they could be like, you know, tonight on a very special episode of Farscape, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I guess we, we kind of usually go sequentially through the episode, but however, given what happened and you know, we've lost our first major character that kind of took up pretty much most of the second episode, let's just jump on that first. So what'd you think about Zan sacrificing herself? You think they were really going to go through with it or somehow come up with that sci-fi miracle ending and, oh, everybody's fine. So this was an interesting one because... At first, I wasn't surprised by the sacrifice, right? I mean, obviously, they've been making a big deal about her illness. Um, it's very in character for Xan to, to, to try to sacrifice herself. But I did expect Stark to either save her or kind of indicate they could find her again, kind of like he'd passed on his reconstitution ability or he could go find her or, or something like that. But I'll also say I usually avoid spoilers, but I, I did see the health issues uh, being a cause to her leave and kind of use that to realize that that probably is not going to be the case here and she's not coming back. Yeah. And, you know, having watched this originally, I knew that, yeah, she was no longer with the, the series, uh, but I didn't realize why she left. You know, I didn't, you know, at the time, I guess there's internet back then, but I didn't really go look or anything. I just was like, oh, okay, you know, they did the new thing with TV shows now, killing off a crew member or cast member. Okay. But thinking about it a little more, they, they could, you know, this, this is sci-fi. You can do anything you want. I mean, they could have gotten her off the ship, saved her, and you know, planted her in the planet wherever they're going to go. And through you know, just the miraculously healing properties of that planet, she could have come back as you know, like her normal skin color, you know, normal human skin color, maybe with some you know little dots of like she she had from her other makeup and been fine. But I'm, I'm guessing that the makeup really made her sick enough that I guess continuing on even in limited capacity probably wasn't a good thing. Yeah, I, I can't remember where I read it, but I did see something that said that at one point she, the actress actually wanted to leave it open so that she could come back occasionally. But then I think it just wound up being making her too sick and having to move on. So and, and I do find it interesting, you know, just as a side tangent that even this recent, I mean, I realize it shows a little ways back, but that we were ha still having medical issues caused by makeup. Right. And, and these type of shows, you, you don't think about that these days. But now if you, I, I picture like the stories of the, the Tin Man and Wizard of Oz, and yet this this show ran into a similar situation where it was causing health issues. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, because, you know, there's makeup and skin colorings for, you know, however long in sci-fi and fantasy movies and TV shows and stuff, but I guess maybe this just had, had some unforeseen reaction with her physiology or something, yeah, that it was just like, wow, it's causing your kidneys to bleed? Yeah, I guess I'd be like, okay, I'm done, thank you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know the role's not worth dying over literally right no no it's it's you know money money doesn't matter at that point so yeah and you know who knows i mean i i don't remember if you know they do like little clips or dreams or other alternate reality things coming up maybe she'll make an appearance or two later i don't know who knows but but yeah i mean obviously you know your health is more important than a tv show so you know can understand why she left Although it would have been, and I realize that the color was kind of important to the character, but it would have been interesting to use the sickness to just change her to human skin tone and do away with the makeup. But mm -hmm. it is what it is. So. It is what it is. We can obviously retconning a, a historical TV show at this point. It's probably not a good idea. So yeah. uh, <laughs> they did and, what they and, did. And, and they made for good TV, right? Because you know, you're hoping that, oh, they're going to pull it out because that's usually they do, right? And then, oh, wow. Okay. Oh, yeah, we definitely just had the stakes raised because now, like you said, we've lost our first original main character uh, from the beginning. And that, does, that that shows you that you're not guaranteed any of them to make it through. Yeah, except Crichton because, you know, <laughs> it's kind of his show, sort of, kind of. So. Ah, it would be the first time we kill off the main character in TV show. But anyway. <laughs> True, yeah. And then, um, yeah, I just thought, real quick thought about like Babylon 5, you know, the, the commander, they, they, you know, he leaves and then they get a new guy and then it keeps going. So, yeah, I mean, you can replace people to some degree, depending on how you write the series. But, yeah, we'll, we'll see how uh, how Stark does here as a acting Zan now. So, all right. So, yeah, let's kind of jump back to the earlier parts. So, Crichton seems to think he's about 40 light years away from Earth, which okay but i would think that seems kind of a little too close given how obviously centuries old these civilizations are out where we you know in this part of the galaxy which i guess now we know might be really close to earth but you think we would have you know earthlings would have picked up something by now from them because we're, we're looking for stuff all the times unless 
whatever they're doing now is so beyond what we can pick up. But so I don't know. I'm like, I'm going to head cannon that that's not really as far away as he thinks it is, but whatever. Well, two things. One, I, I really struggle with, you know, distances in this region of space anyway, right? Like, you know, is, do they consider a light year far or not far? But, but also was that, you know, 40 light years away inside the wormhole and not in space, right? So unless he can manage to get back into a wormhole, it may be further than that from normal space. Yeah, or, yeah, there's, you know, something in between the uncharted territories and Earth that, you know, we're not going to pick up their signal. I don't know. Yeah, but it just seems like, I mean, it's, it's a thing they threw out there that, you know, gives Crichton hope that he's he's close closer than they thought. So, okay, fine. You know. But there, there's also dragons, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wormhole space dragons, you know. Uh, and I guess on a little good note, uh, I guess uh, since Aaron's Prowler got destroyed end of season two, I'm guessing this new little ship that they captured by accident a couple of se- a couple episodes ago that Dargo's filling around with. I guess that's the new replacement ship. So I guess they'll have some fun learning how that works. Uh, which yeah, cry- uh, Dargo just flipping random controls while he's inside Moya's docking bay. I'm like, uh, what if you like turn the engines on or if there's a weapon and like, you like blow a hole through the side of <laughs> you know, Moya? It's, like, it's not probably not a good thing to be messing with when you're. Just, hey, what's this do? And, um, you know, while they're sitting in there, like him and uh, Crichton, we do get a little more of our Dargo trying to come to grips with Chien and, and Jothi and, you know, trying to confide in Crichton that couldn't keep them. He feels bad. And then Crichton goes in this long story about his grandmother and the wheel and kind of name drops the episode. So good job. Now we got double name drop two episodes in a row. There we go. Name dropping a two-parter, too. That's, that should be like an extra star. Yeah, because I don't think they've name dropped other multi-parters have they because yeah like look at the princess you're not gonna drop that in a conversation so you know <laughs> other ones I mean, he really up. should he should stop just be like look at the print anyway uh yeah. <laughs> but no i i do think that's an interesting point about the the replacement for the prowler and i also find it interesting that you know aaron's prowler was obviously a big part of being tied to her and her past and I, we still refer to it as aaron's prowler right because it came with her but this one's going to be more connected with dargo he, he mentions it seems familiar to him and maybe, you know, we've got a new function of him on board the ship because it's going to be him piloting the away mission type stuff. Yeah, could be. So he's now the combat pilot or the he has the cool ship now versus our little old obsolete Farscape 1 module and the little um, transport pods that Moya has. Right. So now we've got the, you know, the souped up sports car model, you know. The... <laughs> well, especially since Farscape 1 gets burned out again. Right. That thing's always you know burned out somehow. So. And uh, I guess we get more of our little backstory on the aliens that, uh, you know, they're sabotaging Moya so they can, you know, save their ship and get home. And, um, you know, just as a fun bit, which comes into play later, we learn that I guess they can shoot little poison darts out because, uh, you know, the one guy hits Chiana and uh, Dargo drags her off to Zan. So Zan the rescue one last time. So, hey, because could Stark have made his antidote? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Right. Now, now we're, you know. Without Xan, we're going to be at a lot more risk of nobody being able to whip up the alchemy part to uh, save and, and be the medic. So now we need a ship medic. Maybe Jewel has some medical training? Yeah, because so far, you know, obviously she's only been around for a couple of scenes this episode and last episode. So we have no idea what she can do other than she screams a lot and it's really annoying. But at least they made it to where her scream can melt metal. So that's kind of cool. So it, you know, melted the tip, which I guess the needles that they shoot out of their alien heads were, you know, had metal tips on the front. Okay. So that doesn't sound natural. But anyway, it, it melted the tips of those and saved Crichton. So, hey, benefit there. Because, you know, she's, so far she seems to be kind of like the, the stereotypical TV female. Like, you know, easily frightened, screams a, a lot, a really lot. <laughs> <laughs> So like maybe they were banking on that and said, well, if we're going to have her scream a lot because she's that kind of character, then maybe rather than just being annoying to the audience, it can do something. So, okay, uh, it'll melt metal. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's go with that. Although it is, I guess, like a complete 180 from the rather strong female characters we have on Farscape. Aaron, Zan, and Chana are all in different ways. Very strong female characters uh, types on this show compared to Jewel, at least, well, so far. Well, and A, uh, you know, if, if we're getting a, a trade for Zan... Uh, Character-wise, I, I don't think this was a good trade. Um, <laughs> somebody didn't, uh, didn't, didn't negotiate very well there. But but also, you know, as a side note, uh, I think she's supposed to be some kind of royalty, or at least that that's the impression I get from her attitude. So it'll be interesting to see how that works with Rigel and 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 his opinion that he's the 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 dominar and the head most important person on the on the ship, right? 
Yeah, so we can have like you know dueling royals or something, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Could be interesting. Although not to foreshadow, there's another annoying healer type person to come later. So just uh, I'll just toss it out there just because. Um, but I'm, for, I'm foreshadowing. But yeah, so it's not a it's not a hard light hologram, is it? Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she's not as annoying as what's coming later. Uh, <laughs> Yay. <laughs> from what I remember, I, I could be wrong from what I remember, but we'll 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 talk about when we get there. And then, hey, Harvey's back again. He was back last episode for a scene or two, but now he's back again, and he's he's really adamant that you know he's not gonna be in the dumpster anymore. He's his own person. Well, sort of. <laughs> so, but you know, hey, he's just here offering advice, or you know, he's just telling Crichton what what he thinks or what you know he would do in, in his in Crichton's situation. Or is he kind of basically you know chip off the old Scorpius block there, and he's trying to direct Crichton towards things that would benefit him. You know, him being Harvey, not not Crichton, right? Because obviously he has nowhere near the control he had before of like stopping his body functions and making him go crazy. At least for now, ha ha ha. We'll see. Yeah, that, that's not ominous at all. Yeah, that that dumpster did not last near as long as I was expecting. I mean, yeah, we made it what uh, three episodes, so um, that that was that was something I I was not expecting it to be him to be as powerful uh, as uh, I mean to appear again in uh, awake space, right? And it makes you kind of question Crichton's thoughts and and state of mind if he let him out to begin with and actually started started the conversation back up. Yeah, because obviously, you know, he had a lot more control when the, the chip was in there. Now that it's out, or at least we think it's out, right? So now he's not as strong. And maybe now he's like slowly getting stronger. Like, because now he's like, okay, I'm out of the dumpster now. I'm not going back. Like, well, could Crichton put him back in there? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? So yeah, we'll, we'll see as the season goes, because, you know, he's in the opening credits, the you know, cast list. So he's going to be there at least the rest of the season, hopefully. We'll see. But yeah, is he going to keep you know each each time he sees him he's gonna get like a little more powerful a little more control you know who knows yeah because Crichton seems content to you know hang out with him and watch movies so yeah because he thinks he's just extra voice in his head that's not dangerous so yeah now he's kind of more open and more conversational than he was prior to when we saw it before so yeah who knows anything's possible all right anything else before we wrap these two up no no i think like we said this this these flowed real well together, so I think it's a it's a good point to uh, tie them up together. Yep. All right. So let's do that. So yeah, I mean, overall, I liked them. You know, some of it was a little confusing, but uh, like you had said, but there didn't seem to be like any kind of like filler. Like with the, with a three parter, they kind of like were filling some stuff in there to make it a three parter. Here with the two parter, you know, I didn't think anything felt like they had to rush to throw something in there or a bit that if he took it out of the episode. It wouldn't make a difference. It wouldn't care. You know, the, the alien crew they were slightly interesting, or at least as interesting as they needed to be to drive the plot along, uh, to be the villains, or at least the other side of the coin, I guess, what the crew wanted to do to have that conflict. And, you know, they do a good job of, you know, you knew what they were up to, but then letting the characters figure that out. So we got some, you know, audience foreshadowing drama kind of thing. Like, you know, no, they're against you. Look at you. And of course, you know, we get the the great scenes with Zan by herself, as well as, you know, pretty much with every other member of the crew. So, you know, she pretty much says goodbye to everybody, more or less. A nice, touching, meaningful death scene as opposed to other places. But, you know, like like we said, sci-fi is not always permanent. Although in this case it probably is because of you know what it kind of quasi permanently did to the actress, so that's not a good thing. But yeah, I mean, overall I liked it, and um, like we said before, if you're keeping score at home, you know, Crichton does actually name drop both episode titles, so yay, we like that. <laughs> we do like that. Just to kind of sum it up. Uh, probably not my favorite two-parter, but uh, I do think that as you kind of said, the aliens and the and the the conflict with with them was not the important part of these episodes. It was the crew dynamic and the the impact that Zan's death and departure will have on that. So I, th- I think from that standpoint, uh, it's definitely a, a great two-parter for moving the, the, the crew forward. And uh, yeah, we're, we're at a, an exciting place in Farscape. Yep. We're excited to see where it goes. And speaking of which, uh, next time we got uh, Season 3, Episode 5, Different Destinations. Okay, so maybe they don't stay together. Oh, anyway, <laughs> and episode six, Eat Me. So yeah, playing our usual guessing game of what do those titles mean? Different destinations. Well, as I kind of joked about, that could be anything, but maybe they're they're splitting up now. You know, they just had a big soul-shattering uh, experience. Are they gonna go away for a little bit to like I don't know, get their heads back together? I don't know something. 
you know, not permanently, obviously, because then, you know, the show's over, right? And you know, we don't care anymore. Uh, not really sure what else kind of comes to mind there. Uh, as for Eat Me, <laughs> oh my. I, I don't think it's like the swear swear version of that, because, you know, Farscape likes its swearing, uh, but they don't usually leave it that you know, unaltered English. They, they make up their own words for it. So I'm guessing it's not that. Uh, please, I hope it's not that. So maybe let's go with the obvious, like food related, whether the crew's eating something and something happens or something's trying to eat them, maybe? I'm, I'm kind of have kind of, uh, thought back to, um, if you ever watched the um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy TV show, like the little BBC miniseries from, I guess, what, the 80s, when they're at the um, Millieways, the restaurant at the end of the universe, and uh, Arthur Dent's introduced to a talking creature that uh, says it's going to be someone's lunch. And, you know, Arthur's rather upset about that. And the creature's like, no, nah, it's fine. It's great. It's no problem. I, I'm, you know, <laughs> I have no problem with it. So maybe something like that. I don't know. So the, uh, you're right on uh, the different destinations. Uh, I may take that to mean not necessarily a split, but more, uh, maybe a conversation around where they want to go. Right. You know, Crichton's obviously still hung up on earth and, and his goal of, of figuring out the wormhole technology for that, but that's not where the rest of the crew wants to go. So maybe that, that, that desperate destination just may be a, a, a revisit to what's our actual goal. And then the eat me part, I could be totally off base, but that always makes me think of the uh, size changing food from Alice in Wonderland, right? The, the, I can't hmm, remember yeah. which did which, but you got the, the package that says drink me and the package that says eat me. So I, I don't know how that would relate to Farscape, but that's the first thing that jumps into my mind. Yeah, we could maybe have like our little psych- psychedelic kind of trippy thing, maybe. I don't know if you're thinking about Alice in Wonderland. It's kind of like a big LSD trip or something, you know. <laughs> so. I, 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 now I want Harvey dressed up as a white rabbit. So There we go. Oh, he, he's wearing a tux in this episode. He's wearing like other Earth clothing now. So yeah, hey, anything's possible, right? He could yeah. pop up in a you know bunny suit with ears and <laughs> <laughs> hopping around Crichton's head. Because it's sci-fi. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. Except bringing back... Adelvian as not blue because that didn't go so well the first time. Alas, poor Zan. So, alrighty. So that is your homework, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.